0: You look at an organization and it's made up of gears, right? So a department is a gear and that, that gear is broken. So you take out the gear and you fix the gear, you stick it back in and everything is working, right? And then when we start looking at appreciative inquiry, we're looking at that whole human system. And some of the tenets of uh, appreciative inquiry would say, no, you have to look at the whole system. Everyone affects everyone else. And then if you're only fixing one little thing and putting it back in, you're only getting back to the status quo. And appreciative Mm -hmm. inquiry, you can also look at it and use the word appreciative in terms of it grows in value, right? Mm -hmm. So um, that's one of the things I like to tell people is, you know, we're not only looking for the positive strengths, but we're also trying to grow your value and move beyond the status quo. And isn't that what most organizations or individuals want to do is get better and grow and, and appreciate.
1: Hello, and welcome to Student Affairs Now. I'm your host, Keith Edwards. Today, I'm joined by Drs. Symphony Oxendine and Brian Dano, the two editors of a new volume on appreciative inquiry in student affairs. I think this may be a new approach for many of you, and I'm excited to learn more and explore this with our experts who edited this volume and got contributions from many of their colleagues. We'll talk about what it is and how we can utilize it in our practice. Thank you both for being here and for sharing with us. Student Affairs Now is the premier podcast and online learning community for thousands of us who are in, alongside, or adjacent to the field of higher education and student affairs. We release new episodes every week on Wednesdays. Find details about this episode or browse our archives at studentaffairsnow.com. This episode is also sponsored by Rutledge, Taylor, and Francis. View their complete catalog of authoritative education titles at rutledge.com education. This episode is also sponsored by Huron, a global professional services firm that collaborates with clients to put possible into practice. As I mentioned, I'm your host, Keith Edwards. My pronouns are he, him, his. I'm a speaker, author, and coach, helping higher ed leaders and organizations advance learning, leadership, and equity. You can find out more about me at keithedwards.com. I'm recording this from my home in Minneapolis, Minnesota, at the intersections of the ancestral homelands of both the Dakota and the Ojibwe peoples. So, Brian and Symphony, glad to have you both here, really excited to dig into this a little bit more. I've been loosely, tangentially working with Appreciative Inquiry for more than 15 years now, and so really appreciated you getting this out there. I think it's a really great tool that we can use more and more in our practice, and I think there's also a lot of misconceptions, so excited to get into this. But before we get too far into it, let's hear a little bit from each of you. Brian, why don't you tell us a little bit more about you?
0: Hey, thank you for having me. Uh, my name is Brian Gaino. I am, uh, I live in Raleigh, North Carolina and my pronouns are he, they. Um, so I currently work a part-time faculty in the master's of uh, education program at UNC uh, Wilmington in North Carolina. I also am the owner and facilitator at Gaino Consulting where I do some work uh, with organizations on team building program review, facilitation, and using appreciative inquiry um, and my work relates to Appreciative Inquiry, I'm a certified Appreciative Inquiry facilitator, which means I've gone through some training through the Center of Appreciative Inquiry to really utilize that and help organizations and, and uh, approach things in a different way. So that's a lot of my work. Um, and then I'm also really focused on um, things like sense of belonging and campus
2: climate for our students.
1: Yeah, wonderful, wonderful. Symphony,
2: tell us a little bit more about you. Yeah, hi everyone. Uh, My name is Symphony Oxendine. I use she, her, hers pronouns. I am Cherokee and Choctaw from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, I am joining you from UNCW, Wilmington, North Carolina, uh, the ancestral and present-day homelands of the Wakamasuan people. I'm an associate professor of higher education, as well as the assistant department chair and doctoral coordinator, because I don't do enough. That's a long (laughs) business card. (laughs) Uh, For educational leadership here at UNCW and the Watson College of Education. Um, So I am a former student affairs, always at heart, professional turned faculty member. um, And I'm also a certified appreciative inquiry facilitator. Um, I also have a consulting Um, business where I do appreciative inquiry and leadership consulting, um, particularly around education and using AI to do strategic planning and those kind of things. Um, I'm a mother, a wife, and also a Disney lover. So here I am. (laughs) All right. All right. Uh, Well, let's get some context because I think maybe people
1: aren't familiar with this term appreciative inquiry. And I think many people who do hear it have some misunderstandings about it. So let's just get some context. Symphony, let's start with you. What is appreciative
2: inquiry? Sure. So appreciative inquiry is a lot of things, but kind of to get to the root of it, um, actually, David uh, during his dissertation, coined the term appreciative inquiry um, as he examined an organization by looking at its strengths and its assets rather than through a deficit-based approach, which in his organizational development um, um, work he really was like, something's not jiving here with this organization I'm looking at. So he kind of flipped it on its head. Mm -hmm. Um, But really, if you get down to it, AI is a generative strengths or asset-based approach that looks at the study and exploration of what's giving life to human systems at their best. And AI kind of looks at at the positive core. Um, So the capacities and the processes that give life strength Possibility to living systems, which is higher ed, right? Mm-hmm. Organizations, those kind of things. Student affairs are all living systems. So, in essence, it seeks out the solutions rather than the problems.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so that's kind of what AI is in a nutshell.
1: Yeah, really unfortunate that we have this artificial intelligence that has come in and. I know I'm sorry. This AI acronym away, but we'll use it as for appreciative inquiry today. I first came along Appreciative Inquiry when it was used in that context Mm -hmm. by being in a a training session about um, cross-cultural communication, which that's often loaded and don't say the wrong thing and don't mess up. And it was really brought in as um, a visualization of think about a time where you communicated across cultures and it went really well.
0: Yeah, And we
1: kind of talked about like what, what made it go well and what did you learn? And then we started sharing. It was really unique. So um, Brian, what, what do you want to add here?
0: Well, I was going to say, uh, I think we, you hit on a couple things there. One is it's amazing when people are first introduced to it, um, how I guess natural it comes to them, but also revolutionary it is for them because hmm. things happen like when we pose those questions about, you know, when was the best time you you were um, at this, or when did this work really well? Those stories produce so much energy, right? And they yeah. and they really start to compound on each other, and they're like, oh yeah, and then. And then when, as a facilitator, we start breaking down, hey, what was happening and what was present at that time? And we can really say, oh, so let's when can we replicate that? What can we do to make that better? Um, and I think I also like the point when you, you sort of introduced the question was there's some misconceptions about what um, appreciative mm-hmm. inquiry is because mm-hmm. a lot of times we think it's, um, it's positivity for positivity's sake. Right. And we really always want to dispel that, right? We want to say, no, right. that's yeah. not what, uh, what this is. We're not ignoring issues that are in an organization or what's going on. It's the way that we approach what we can do about that or look at that. And we can also say, um, you know, can we turn this into an opportunity? Can we flip it around? Um, but then we also, we take a critical lens sometimes and say, hey, there's something that needs to be addressed here before we can even move forward. So what's ways that we can we can do this? But the question usually comes out like what you're saying, well, when did it work? When was it the best thing that happened? Right.
1: Yeah, I've often uh, heard people say, you know, when did it go really well? And then um, what was the recipe? If you really loved that dish, what was the re- like, what went into it? What were the secret ingredients? What was really key? And then maybe how can we replicate some of that? I also think it's, um it's really useful in sort of flipping the paradigm of the educator being the expert and having all the knowledge and knowing like, all right, you're in a workshop on conflict, I'm going to tell you how to deal with conflict instead saying, think about a time you we're in conflict and it went really well Mm -hmm. write down five things that helped that go well and now all 20 of you share five things now we got a whole bunch of things what do you think are the most powerful and sort of the group is kind of creating from their own lived experience very Frarian flip of that um kind of creating here's how conflict has gone well and what can we learn from it and how do we apply it forward what else do we want to say about what is or isn't appreciative inquiry before we move onward
2: so I want to say, too, that appreciative inquiry kind of, at, though its beginnings very much came from organizational development, it is, it has evolved so much since, you know, 1986 and 87 when it kind of originated that it's now not only a theory, it's a methodology, it's a philosophy, it's a mindset, like, I mean, there's appreciative the intelligence. Huh? that Pedagogy. Pedagogy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, appreciative pedagogy, appreciative intelligence, appreciative leadership. Like there are so many ways that you can use appreciative inquiry um, that, you know, it's limitless, really. Mm -hmm. And and I think that that's one of the things that um, kind of drew me to it. I think to begin with was how natural it felt. But at the same time, I was socialized to not really look at the positive or the life giving forces at things. And I think that's what kind of a lot of folks really connect to about appreciative inquiry is that it's this positive kind of idea generation versus negative problem identification. Yeah. Right. Um, my, my student development philosophy kind of emerged through my career, but was really influenced by appreciative inquiry, which is students are solution to be embraced, not a problem to be fixed because I felt like so much as a a, a student affairs professional that um, I was I was being told by kind of other people I needed to fix this the problems which the problems were students right. and and instead of embracing that they've had so many successes just by getting to us in college, why are we not looking to them for these answers that they've already got mm-hmm. so yeah.
1: I'm making a couple of connections with what you're sharing around Peter Block, who did a a lot around community, talks about going from problem focused to solution focused to possibility focused. And when you're just focused on the problems, you start to love your problems and make them bigger and make them impossible. and, And then moving to solutions is great. But when you're focused on solutions, the problem is still driving the solution. And we were thinking about, po- like, what's possible here? What could right. this space, I don't know what that is behind you, Brian, but what could this community <laughs> look like? What could be possible here? Sometimes you address the problems and even create things that are there. And then another one uh, very similar to that is Sean Ginwright, who wrote the four pivots around social justice. And one of his pivots, pivots is from solution, or we might talk about deficit focus to possibilities, strengths, assets, very appreciative inquiry right.
0: approach. Yeah, one of the things I think, uh, and this is, you know, from when we we're going through the training as appreciative uh, facilitators um, that we talk about is when you start viewing appreciative inquiry in the process um, that it takes place, um, you know, our our natural position or what we're usually taught how to look at things is what we what we call a Newtonian sort of looking at a, um, an issue. So you look at an organization and it's made up of gears, right? So a department is a gear and that that gear is broken, so you take out the gear and you fix the gear, you stick it back in and everything is working, right? Mm -hmm. And then when we start looking at appreciative inquiry, we're looking at that whole human system. And some of the tenets of uh, appreciative inquiry would say, no, you have to look at the whole system. Everyone affects everyone else. Mm -hmm. And then if you're only fixing one little thing and putting it back in, you're only getting back to the status quo. Mm -hmm. And appreciative Mm -hmm. inquiry, you can also look at it and use the word appreciative in terms of it grows in value, Right. Mm -hmm. So um, that's one of the things I like to tell people is, you know, we're not only looking for the positive strengths, but we're also trying to grow your value and move beyond the status quo. And is not that what most organizations or individuals want to do is get better and grow and and appreciate.
1: And again, to reemphasize, it's not about ignoring the problems or the challenges or the difficulties. It's an approach to help us better address those to better navigate through some of that in some new ways.
2: Well, before we move on, Keith, I want to also mention one thing that um, is significant about appreciative inquiry. And and if you do a lot of reading into kind of the roots and and the evolution of it is not necessarily the only the positive, but the generative, which is what you were talking about is solutions, yes, are amazing. And that we have to be generative about how we move forward collectively as a whole and um, by generating new ideas, new possibilities, it keeps us from going back to that status quo. So it's not necessarily just the positive of it, but it's the generative positive change that really makes that difference.
1: I think that's super important. Can you say a little bit more? What's the difference between positive
2: and generative? Um, okay, so, so I, I would say that when we talk about generative that if we only focus on the positive, then, um, there may be times when something has failed, which we would say isn't a good thing, but if we can use a failure to learn from and generate new possibilities, then you actually create transformational change at that point. So, you know, so for instance, in your example, you were talking about, especially when we talk about things like, Um, racial justice, social justice, equity, those kind of pieces that um, you may not have necessarily always an opportunity to say, well, this is a time when I I had a most positive experience. It may be, I need to focus on what I've been through and what I know I don't want to experience again to imagine or generate Mm -hmm. the possibility of what, what it would look like if we all we're able to communicate cross culturally effectively. So it, it's not necessarily that if there is not a positive or life giving force, you mm-hmm. can necessarily always pinpoint, you still have a generative right. opportunity there that brings you into a new, maybe never before thought of opportunity. Right. Right. Let me, so let me say sub- that, yeah.
0: I was going to say, uh, in the help of the language, and then we'll go into a uh, so with appreciative inquiry uh, and some of the basics that will come out are is the either the 4D process or the 5D process, however you want to look at. It. And there's a lot of talk about that in the volume. Um, but, I, you know, the positive part is what in the, the one of the first stages is, is discover. Yeah. And that's where you are trying to find out your strengths and what happened, right? Mm-hmm. And then you move into these dream phase and design phase. And that's where that generative work happens, where in that dream phase, you're saying, hey, how can we how can we build on this? And if we had no other limitations ever to, to impede us or do what we wanna do, we could dream the best organization that we could possibly be, what would that look like? And it's amazing what happens during that phase because in the design phase, we start taking that, those statements or those ideas and actually say, well, how can we accomplish that? What would that look like? What would we, what would we do to, in order to get to that point or to some semblance of that that dream? Um, and then you sort that last. The last D is to deliver on that, and then come back to it. Mm-hmm. So it's generative, and then also appreciative inquiry. Unlike a lot of other uh, analysis or organizational behavior um, examinations, is actually giving you plans. Right? A, mm-hmm. a SWOT analysis doesn't give you a plan at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Right? It just it just leaves you feeling like you have failed. Yeah, uh, whereas yeah. in a appreciative inquiry, you're actually designing um, your future.
1: Well, the human brain loves a mystery, Brian. So I've got the four Ds. I need to know what the five Ds are. The four Ds are discover, dream, design, deliver, and sometimes...
0: Well, the first one will be define.
1: Define, okay.
0: Yeah, so All you're right. defining what your scope of your inquiry would be.
1: Okay, so we're looking at conflict, or we're looking at racial justice, right? Yeah.
0: Conflict, or where what our organization wants to be, or, yeah, we have this um, this team-building issue on our team, let's, let's decide what we want to focus on there. So it could be large, it could be small. Yeah.
2: And let me also say, sorry, we're going to move past question one, I promise, (laughs) which is that in the define piece um, and there's, there's a technique that that out there called name claim reframe. Mm -hmm. So when you identify in the, in the define, when you identify the focus of the inquiry, you want to make sure that it's a positive generative focus. So instead of we don't want to be, um, uh, we don't, we're a, a dysfunctional team. Mm-hmm. You would name that. Okay, so we've got some issues that are going on here. So we're not saying that you need to ignore issues. Acknowledge them and situate them in. So what does it mean if we were a functional team? So you reframe it from a, a asset or positive kind of aspirational so what you know our topic of inquiry could be we are a team that is communicating respectfully and functioning mm-hmm. um healthy right that's the focus so you focus it on what you want to happen instead of again identifying all those problems and then falling in love with them and keeping them regurgitating them
1: this reminds me of the miracle cu- question from couples therapy are you familiar with this I am not. <laughs> The the miracle question is couple goes to therapy and says, it's just not working. It's just not working. We really need your help. And the therapist says, well, what if this two years of couples therapy was incredibly successful and the mm-hmm. relationship was just top-notch? What would you notice day-to-day, week-to-week? Well, we'd hold hands and we'd do this and we'd do mm-hmm. this and we'd do this. And the therapist writes all that down. And then the therapist tears off that sheet and says, go home and do that. Yep. Do exactly. the things that you think, right? Right. So, mm-hmm. All right. Question two. (laughs) Um, You wrote this volume with other contributing authors, particularly for higher education and student affairs practice. So let's talk about some of the ways we've talked in generalities, um, which I think is super helpful in the framing, but talk about how we can use this in student affairs practice. Brian, what are some examples you might be able to offer us?
0: Yeah, so when we we think about how we could use this in student affairs, and and I guess some of the impetus of us uh, wanting to bring this volume forward was. We had some areas in student affairs and higher education that appreciative inquiry was being used. Of course, it had been applied as an organizational um, examination tool or analysis tool. Um, And then we had things like appreciative advising, which had, Mm -hmm. has really taken off. And a lot of people are probably very familiar with some of that approach to to work with our students. So we knew just from our experience um, that other people who probably are using what we call appreciative frameworks, so not just appreciative inquiry, but just sort of everything that falls under the umbrella of an appreciative approach to our work. And um, because it's new directions and student services, we are particularly interested in what people were sort of doing in a novel way or applying these to different programs or areas throughout. And when we solicited uh, authors, we got—I mean, we got a lot of uh, responses. We got. I think 24, 25 uh, proposals that we had to, to go through and make some hard choices with. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, people have been applying this to student conduct, um, which is also something that um, I talk about in our, in our article about how we, how I applied it to some student conduct work I was doing um, at a university or a college. And then also um, we've seen some graduates, um, uh, uh, supervision, uh, international um, studies, some, um, you know, overseas study abroad programs, um, some great work around, uh, of course, appreciative administration and budgeting are some things that we don't really think about too much, but are important parts of student affairs. Um, so I think it was, it was really interesting to us to see how people were adapting those five Ds that we talked about uh, or the appreciative advising model or a model such as, uh, there's another model out there called SOAR, which is the Appreciative Inquiry version of SWOT, so, you know, strengths, opportunities, aspirations, and results um, gives you SOAR, um, and how you can sort of apply that to your organization or your department, and, and really build sort of relationships and um, this appreciative approach within your organization.
1: Yeah. I'm reminded of when we always focus on the problem, it can be hard to see beyond that. And if you do things like SOAR, you start to say, oh, well, what are the results we want? Oh, well, how, how do I pay attention to that? And how do I recognize that? Oh, I see that. That actually happened in the last meeting. Yeah. How do we do that again? And how do we expand some of that?
0: Yeah, SOAR is amazing. I think it's something you can do in a in a, over a two month, three month period, you could do in two hours. Yeah. Um, and it's amazing what happens in just that short time. Because again, like SWAT. Everyone leaves disgruntled. They feel like they failed an organization because you end on threats, right? You end <laughs> on what's a bad thing happening to us, and you have no plan forward. Whereas SOAR really is an amazing yeah. um, tool. But I think.
1: For folks who aren't it, familiar, just give us the, the acronym for SWAT, and then you're suggesting this uh, appreciative inquiry approach, this acronym for SOAR.
0: Yeah. So uh, SWAT would be strengths, weaknesses, um, opportunities, and threats. And they sort of, you know, they couple together so that you're. You're always combating that, and then sort of if you've been through a SWOT analysis, the energy really gets to that point where, oh, we're, we're examining all these bad things, and people sort of leave with that with a taste in their mouth about what's happening. Soar, again, with strengths, opportunities, aspirations, and results. So it leads you through that process, a quick appreciative process, where you end on results, and that's that result piece is saying, how do we know that we're, we've been successful in what we wanted to do?
1: Right, we'll see people doing this, and we'll see this yep. kind of outcome. Yeah. So, what other examples can you give us from student affairs practice? Brian's laid out some of
2: the functional areas and some of the approaches. What are some examples? Well, so the actually the SOAR was the way that I kind of introduced appreciative inquiry, in particular, into the, into my teaching as a faculty member in a student affairs graduate preparation program. So, um, you know, I think that. What I love about appreciative inquiry is that many of the folks, especially the authors of our volume were doing appreciative inquiry work unknowingly. So they were using, Without using the, that term. Yeah, absolutely. And so, um, you know, It it, Again, when I said it's many things and a mindset is one of them, and sometimes you just are doing it without knowing it. So um, in, in particular, when I started introducing appreciative inquiry concepts into my teaching was, again, with student affairs master's program students and in our leadership and higher education class. And one of the things that was interesting is we did a SOAR analysis. Our classes were two hours and 50 minutes. And we did a whole SOAR analysis mm-hmm. about the one thing they all had in common, which was our program. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the, the the night, I said, so you all just did appreciative inquiry. Mm-hmm. And they were like, what? And, and realizing for for these folks who are going to go out into every functional area in multiple, like even some in academic affairs, doing student service work, um, just changing that uh, mindset that they had that you don't have to have any special knowledge to do this Mm -hmm. is I think what really for Brian and I was particularly important about this volume Mm -hmm. was we want to see folks being able to use these, the concepts and and the theory and philosophy behind AI in all the ways that they do their work. So for instance, in one of the chapters, um, uh, the ABCs of like community service and community engagement, um, the author, Dr. Christy Poteet, she she actually created her own model called appreciative-based change, mm-hmm. approaching community engagement and community service in a way that was not the savior complex of, we're going to go in out, from outside and come fix their problems and then leave. Mm-hmm. But it was how do we look at this community and be be in relationship with this community we're doing community service with in a way that acknowledges their humanness, their their relationality, the assets they bring and how do we do this together and I mean it I'm getting goosebumps just talking about it. like it it is so amazing because as an indigenous person I, I know how it feels to have to be othered and mm-hmm. so just, kind of having these these practitioners coming in and being able to provide us with these wonderful applications that are very implementable um it is 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 just really what I think Brian and I were trying to get to was we don't want this to be so theoretical that it feels not approachable right
0: yeah,
1: yeah. yeah it I seems like it's not a complicated else. idea but a powerful
2: yeah. one yeah
0: and we, and we, we intentionally pushed our authors, you know, every time we got a, a copy back from them, it's like, we want to hear a story. Like if they were, if they were giving us a traditional, you know, um, article with a lit review and we're like, you know, get rid of all that. Tell us the story <laughs> of what is going on because storytelling is a huge part of appreciative inquiry. It's where we find the power to where we find the strengths. Um, so we're like, we want to know, uh, how are you influenced? What was, what was going on for that? And we got some, just amazing stories from our authors about what's going on. Um, and so I think that's where we're also saying, if we can give them stories and we can give them a little bit of a roadmap, mm-hmm. then we don't know where this could possibly go, but we know it could go to a lot of different places. Yeah.
1: Well, that's a great transition. Let's get to some of these stories. So you, uh, you organized this and facilitated this, got contributions, like you said, from many people, lots of whom didn't quite make it in, but when I was looking through it, I was really impressed with um, there were chapter titles and descriptions that I wouldn't expect in a book on appreciative inquiry. It's not sort of the traditional, here's what it is, here's how to do it. There's a lot of like very specific detailed things. It was really rich. I'm super curious as folks who had some expertise in this and organized this call, what did you learn? What were your aha moments reading from the authors? What are some of your favorite stories, uh, Symphony? Let's start with you. But what was some some standout learning or some learning that stands out to you?
2: Um, you know, I, I it's hard to pinpoint it down to because it's so. You don't have to choose
1: a favorite. Just I know, I know, right?
2: Um, uh, it's like picking my favorite child. Yeah. Um, uh, I there's yeah, there's just so much there that um, I feel like. In particular, some things that stood out to us are, or for me anyway, as we went through this was, um, how folks are able to just own their own, their, their, um, I'm really struggling for words right now, own their ability to make small changes in whatever way it made sense for them in their, in their, um, position in their office or, or whatever program they happen to be working with and that that we didn't have to validate for them that this was worthy. So mm-hmm. I as a, as a and this is probably my faculty hat but like I feel like as as someone who is helping prepare current and future professionals in our field that there's so many right answers, and oftentimes professionals feel like someone out there has the right answer and I'm not doing it. So I just need to find it. And so for us, these these authors were all right answers to whatever functional area, whatever program they happen to be um, um, addressing. So, for instance, our, our colleagues from um, Hawaii are in. Are, um, The the writings they had in their chapter about building a community, a beloved community Mm -hmm. from using storytelling, which is AI, um, and how they were able to not just affect students, but faculty and staff in a way that honored their traditions and their um, realities, but also brought everyone else into it, because we know that it's going to bring them Higher and do better for everyone when we we bring everyone together um, and I just feel like there's so many um, kind of nuggets in each of the um, stories that they're telling in each of these articles. Um, but we really wanted to make it implementable. So, for instance, uh, Brian mentioned the chapter on budgeting, so I know how difficult it is to teach budgeting. <laughs> as as a faculty member but uh you know as professionals how many of us really feel like we got a good handle on budgeting in a way that um illustrates the values that we say we are are living but then when it comes to spreadsheets and proposals of what we're going to put our money to it's hard to put that into practice because many of us haven't been taught that way so i think that's what those little pieces in there just kind of really excite me about how folks can take this and use it immediately in their in their practice. Mm-hmm.
1: Beautiful. Beautiful. Brian, what can't you get out of your head?
0: Uh I think again, all of all of our articles and all of our authors were amazing and we had some great um uh applications of how they're using AI. Um you know, one of the, if I was going to look at a specific one, I think uh, that's just in my mind and, and a great example um, is Dr. Glassman's uh, talking about how to use it in student conduct, because I think that's a really hard one. And um, mm-hmm. we you, you think, well, well, how are you going to put appreciative inquiry into conduct? Because you're it's pretty straightforward. If you ever worked in conduct, you know, it can be extremely draining. It's not a very positive experience in general. You try to make it that. Um, and you know, she she really did a great job of showing us if you know, especially in the, in the resolution part where someone sort of accepted responsibility. Well, how can we make this a positive learning experience and can you flip it on the head? Um, and I know I did that when I was in um, student conduct. I was like, how, how can I turn this into a more positive experience where we're, we're building on things rather than tearing you down or making this a true learning experience? As you really walk through um, a story about how um, using sort of a, a, a fictional student that went through the conduct process, but how would you you guide them through this sort of appreciative process using um, the 5D process of appreciative inquiry? And I think it was extremely successful in the way that she approached that. Uh, but I also want to use her as an example because uh, one of the things that was for us at Symphony of Me was this whole process of this um, this volume of getting this together. And we put the call out there and one of the conversations we had before we were writing up the the proposal and the call for everything was, we again, we recognize that there are people out there who are using these concepts and using this process and have this mindset, but haven't been formally introduced to appreciative inquiry or know what that means. So our proposal had to both be a call for papers and an education tool. Mm -hmm. And it worked because we had individuals like Dr. Glassman who wasn't really familiar with the concept, but recognize that that's what they were doing and what they want to do. And we had several authors who talked to us about that. And we did presentations at um, ACPA convention and about how that process sort of happened. But they were learning about the actual um, pro- AI formally, even though that that's what they were doing. Mm-hmm. And then that also led to Symphony and I writing our the first articles in there about knowingly and unknowingly using this. And us sort of examining our own past and saying, hey, you know, I from my art background and, and being an art major, you know, a lot of the things I learned of how to look at art, critique art, improve my own art, was a sort of a stepping stone or a way that instilled in me the values of appreciative inquiry well before I, I actually met Symphony and and it took her class on appreciative inquiry, which was my formal introduction to the topic. Um, so I think both we have what's coming the lessons learned from this and what we can get from this not or this volume is um you know of course the articles and how we're applying it but for for me it was really that whole process that we can educate these individuals and and in our and our colleagues and find out how they're using it and even if they don't know they're necessarily using it
1: mm-hmm. yeah i think you know this notion of it being tactical tools and source strategies and to do it in a class but also this mindset and this philosophy it just kind of shifts how you approach the world you like i understand you're having a really tough time with your friend um what do you appreciate about them when's the time when it has gone well how might you want to get back to that um can just be rather than what's your friend doing that's wrong i'm thinking as a parent you know why why are they being so mean to you and why does that feel so icky and Mm
0: -hmm.
1: um, but just a way of approaching the world i think it shifts from into a little bit more realm of agency
2: Right, right. Yeah. And you know, I think that was what what's funny that Brian and I kind of reflected on afterwards is that we what we are lovingly calling the appreciative editing that you know, we broke both, this was our first time editing a volume yeah. like this. And um, so we were learning as well. And um and having been through publication processes where it felt not great, right? That you get comments. That's
1: that's such a positive framing.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, you know, I mean, rejection after rejection, but in a way that was not, not helpful at, as a, you know, a young scholar who was like, just, well, okay, I didn't do it right, but what, what would you like to have seen? What could have been better? And um, I think for Brian and I, that was one of those pieces that we also wanted to be appreciative in the way that we, you know, um kind of s- collected all of this this stuff together and how we interacted with our, our um colleagues who were contributing to this volume. Um so so I, I will say um it was a learning experience for everybody. And I'm so grateful that it that it turned out as wonderfully as it did, and I really hope that it has just some great impact for people and, and is useful in the ways we hope it is. Yeah.
1: Well, and I think you're reminding me that, you know, oftentimes our goal with feedback is that we get no negative feedback. <laughs> and the path to no negative feedback is being okay for everybody. Yeah. And sometimes you take out the magic, right? That maybe maybe so-and-so didn't like that, but for everybody else, that was the magic. And then you take that out because one person didn't like it. And so I think striving to make everybody happy is a great way in moderation. And we're seeing this now with the other AI, artificial intelligence, it's not coming up with the best ideas, it's coming up with the most largely palatable average common right. response, um, taking some of the magic out of it. Well, I think you've done a wonderful job. It's, it's very eclectic uh, with the things that you've brought in, the voices, the topics, the examples, I think people will find themselves in it. Um, but as we are running out of time, uh, we, we always want to end with this question. Is This is Student Affairs Now. What are you thinking about now? I, I know that um, the volume is out and available. You probably submitted it ages ago. You're probably thinking about it, maybe even talking about it today. You're coming back to it. Uh, what are you thinking, troubling, or pondering now? And also, if you want to share where folks might want to connect with you, where they can do that, that would be great. Brian, what are you pondering now?
0: Yeah, that's a that's a wow. That's an amazing question, isn't it? <laughs> um, we like it. <laughs> yeah. So I think uh, one of the things I have been pondering and and marrying two of my my passions really is uh, appreciative inquiry, but also uh, really examining sense of belonging. So I'm the way that I approached, uh, for instance, my dissertation was an appreciative approach to sense of belonging with LGBTQ plus students, um, and I'm really thinking about how. I can sort of develop something or guide individuals to, to create campuses or create environments where belonging can really flourish on our campuses. And it's such a belong, sense of belonging has been a topic that really has hit, um, you know, new, new heights in the last, I would say, 10 years or so with, with <laughs> publications and uh, discussion and what the concept is and, and how we're using it. Um, So I'm doing some other work. I'm I'm editing another um, journal with some other co-editors on sense of belonging and housing. So that's going to be an exciting uh, project coming up. Um, But really looking at how do we understand that? Because I think it's rightfully so. I think belonging is a key uh, to a lot of the success that students can have. And if you take an appreciative approach to sense of belonging, it can really flip um, your organization um, around and say, hey, What are we doing that can actually help individuals find belonging on our campus rather than looking at it as sort of an outcome or retention thing that will just magically happen so that, you know, we're actually putting effort into the the things that need to be done for it to be successful. Awesome.
2: Awesome. Thank you. I love that. Brian. So that's where Brian, you know, Brian and I, uh, that's his dissertation chair. We connected over sense of belonging. So we can totally jive on sense of belonging Mm for a long time too. Um, I, I, I would say what I'm kind of pondering, um, and have been for quite a, quite a while is, um, you know, as, as I think about my role in, in helping prepare and, and, you know, about professionals in higher education in student affairs in particular is um you know how do we help folks kind of what i call um shore up their sacred kind of identity so i just remember how um unsure i was about myself as a professional for so long and then when i realized and and kind of integrated the ai uh, mindset and concepts that already existed in me before they were ever called AI as an indigenous woman, those storytelling and all of that was Mm -hmm. still already there. Um, But the hope that having something like appreciative inquiry and, and knowing that I can make changes, even small changes for the betterment of myself, my students for that positive transformation Mm -hmm. is something that I continually challenge myself because I know that the exponential impact in particular I can have as a faculty member will spread with all the students that I've taught in the past and the ones I'm teaching now and will in the future. Mm -hmm. If I can help them understand how to embrace their value and what they bring that are wonderful gifts to our profession and to the world, that they can then go out there and make these positive changes so we can kind of combat a lot of what feels very out of our control and very hopeless, Mm -hmm. bringing back that hope to our profession. And that for me is probably the biggest piece of why I love what I do and why I love in particular appreciative inquiry and the amount of of emails and and correspondence I get from former students who are like, I just want you to know it may not be a lot to you, Mm -hmm. but this changed how I do my work and it helped me stay in the profession when I felt like I wasn't going to stay and changed how I did my work and just is amazing. And so um, for me, that really is kind of undergirding all the things that I do um, and, and and how I think about the future and how I want to con- continue to contribute as, as someone in this community. Um, and folks can find me on Twitter. I'm there pretty much only once a year at ACPA convention. Sorry. (laughs) I'm just, you know, I'm busy. Um, LinkedIn, my UNCW's website, um, you know, or reach out by email. But I love to connect with folks and, um, you know, I just love higher ed and love what we do.
1: Wonderful. Wonderful. I love that you're highlighting hope and agency and possibilities. These are some of my favorite words. Oh, good. Um, uh, anything else either one of you want to add before we wrap up and conclude? Something you want to make sure gets in this conversation?
0: Yeah, the only thing I, w- I want to highlight, maybe echo a little bit what Symphony was saying is, and, and I know this, this volume is geared towards student affairs, but I think I'd be remiss not to speak to some faculty in our field as well yeah. and say if you can encourage or use appreciative um, pedagogy in ways that you approach topics, um, do that. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it is remarkable what happens and how students respond when you give them an appre- just one appreciative question at the beginning of class. Of you know, I start my semester asking my grad students, "When were you the best version of yourself as a student?" Yeah, um, and it gets them in the mindset of thinking about that and how they can approach that. When I when I work with students trying to develop their thesis topic, you know, and I start introducing appreciative inquiry and how you could flip this, you know, what we look at is typically problems and how you're going to uh, really examine that problem and look at it in an appreciative mindset. They really get excited about a topic. And then the, the things that generate from that are amazing. And these are the future of our of our profession. So we really, if we can instill that early, um, I, I can't imagine what will happen to higher ed if we have a whole bunch of appreciative mindset of people out there in the field.
2: Yes, to that. Yes. And I just want to thank you, Keith, for inviting us on here. Um, Brian, for being an amazing co-editor, all of our authors who contributed, and also the editors, Dr. Deborah Taub and John Garland, who were amazing and gave us so much grace. (laughs) They were appreciative editors for us, Mm -hmm. too. Um, And I I just, I'm so grateful to be able to, um, that we can all share this together. Thank you. Well, thank you for
1: both for being here and sharing this with us and and sharing this volume and all the work you put into it. I know we've just scratched the surface so folks can get the volume where they get their new directions for student services. Um, Thanks for your your leadership in the space. I've really enjoyed the conversation. And, And thanks to our sponsors to today's episode too: Rutledge and Huron. Rutledge and Taylor and Francis is the world's leading academic publisher in education publishing a wide range of books, journals, and other resources for practitioners, faculty, administrators, and researchers. They have welcomed stylus to their publishing program and are thrilled to enrich their offerings in higher education, teaching, student affairs, professional development, assessment, and more. Rutledge is proud to sponsor student affairs now. View their complete catalog of authoritative educational titles at rutledge.com education. And Huron is a global per- a global professional services firm that collaborates with clients to put possible into practice by creating sound strategies, optimizing operations, accelerating digital transformation, and empowering businesses and their people to, do, to, their, to own their future. By embracing diverse perspectives, encouraging new ideas, and challenging the status quo, we create sustainable results for the organizations we serve. A huge shout out, as always, to our producer, Nat Ambrosi, who does all of the behind the scenes work to make us look and sound good. We love the support we get from our community for these conversations. You can help us reach even more folks by subscribing to the podcast, uh, wherever you get your podcasts on YouTube, and subscribe to our weekly newsletter announcing each new episode and more. If you're so inclined, you can leave us a five-star review. It really helps the conversations reach more folks. I'm Keith Edwards. Thank you again to our fabulous guests today and to everyone who's watching and listening. Make it a great week. Thanks, all.
0: Thank you.
2: Thank you.